welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. We're both property people running our own businesses, and this podcast is just us chatting, as we often do, about anything and everything property. And to kick off today, Simon and I were just talking about some news that was in the press very recently, in the last couple of days. And it caught my eye because I guess we're hearing a lot of news about how hot the property market is now and kind of that's becoming a bit old hat. However, the news that I was reading just this weekend was that we have seen UK house prices deliver the strongest three-month growth in 15 years from November. And just to put some numbers on that, the numbers that the Halifax are quoting is that in that three months, property values have increased by 3.4%. And that's the highest increase in that time period that we've seen apparently since back end of 2006. So strong market continues to be strong, Simon. It does. And I think it's interesting to try and turn these percentage figures into some some real numbers. Mm. So the average house price, I think, from the report you're looking at, is now approaching £274,000. Yeah, we've got average price of UK property to hit a record high of 273000 Oh, there we go. I was off by 1000 but pretty close. <laughs> and that increase is, well, it's 3.4% in the last three months. And I think it's, depending on who you ask, anywhere between 8 and 12 or so percent year on year looking at different surveys and they sound like big percentages but it's interesting to translate those into real numbers and i think from some of the the quick sums we did before we started recording that works out at in the region of low 20,000s so 23 ish thousand pounds increase over the last year or so mm. that's quite a lot of money when when you look at an average salary of 30,000 or a, a full-time minimum salary of less than 20,000 to increase an average house price by 23,000 is a big chunk. I mean, what do you think that change is likely to to do to the the housing market, especially first-time buyers? I think like most things, it, your immediate reaction is one of fear in terms of for people trying to get onto the housing market. And of course, these are averages and we always have to remind ourselves that these are averages because you know, where I invest, the average price might be 300. And if I go further northwest, northeast, the average price might be 60 to 80,000. So these are all percentages. But I think the immediate thought is how long can this continue? I think that's the question most of us have got on our minds around that. And I think your point around just the actual value is, is really important because, okay, we, we know most people are going to get mortgaged, but let's just take that average. And if your property's now gone up 20 grand in one year, and I want to just put some context on that because the graph I'm looking at, I just had a another look just for uh, 2015, which, you know, you know, in our old heads, is not that long ago. It's, you know, five, six years. I know the world's turned a few times, but in 2015, the average house price was just a little bit above 180,000. Wow. You know, so that starts, like you say, putting it into real terms for people thinking about buying. And I, so when you look at this graph and you see the steep incline that it's been on since around probably about 2012, 2013, it's, well, I think astronomical is the, is the only word. And it's thinking about, 
how much longer that can go because I mean, it's almost just vertical. If you imagine a straight line, if we remember your cryptocurrency and how steeply it declines, if we <laughs> no, 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 I'm trying not to. <laughs> if we think about that the other way around in terms of it, it's almost now looking like just a line drawn 90 degrees up from from the bottom that's how sharply these prices are increased so my immediate view to answer your question is i, I can't see how this can continue with everything that's going on you know i, I don't i don't want to talk about you know omicron or, or anything like that but however all of these things are very important but just those prices alone i'm not sure how much longer they could be sustainable for what, what are your immediate thoughts yeah, I said, wow, at that 180,000, because that's, I don't know, six-ish years ago. And in that time, we've gone from 180 to 270-ish. So we've gone up by 90,000, which sounds like a lot of money. But when you think about how it's spread across that time, I think it's, it's even more remarkable because we've got at least 25-ish thousand in the last 12 months alone. and then. That only leaves mental arithmetic failing me uh, sixty five thousand. Did I get that right? Sixty five thousand for the other four years. I mean, it, it just shows that there's there's clearly a big difference towards the end of the the time span that we're looking at. Oh no, so the other five years, not four years. Five years because it's six years in total. So, so, so yeah, I mean, you're looking at ten ish thousand per year if you average that out over five years, and then in the last one year, twenty plus thousand so it's definitely a much more rapid increase very recently or obviously due to many many factors from local ones with the, the stamp duty holiday to to global ones with pandemics and money being pumped into the economy by governments and, and asset price inflation as, as a whole so yeah it's lots of factors but lots of things meaning a very recent very rapid increase in house prices which just can't be sustainable, especially for people who are trying to get onto the, the property market at that, that first first point. When you've, you're looking at, I mean, first-time buyers perhaps aren't buying an average house uh, or an averagely priced house. But if they were, an extra 23000 perhaps you're putting in a 10% deposit, that's an extra £2,500 you've got to find on your deposit. If you've been saving up at £100, £200 a month or something, that's an extra chunk of time that you now have to save up. Yeah. And, and if it kept increasing at that rate, you'd be playing catch up. And this is where the bank of mum and dad, I guess, comes into play and certainly did in my situation. And I suppose the big question for us is, you know, how does that impact us, what we do in our property business? And we've talked about this many times, particularly on this podcast and outside of the podcast. And I think our views are fairly clear in terms of you know you still have to do your due diligence but we always want to mitigate that risk of buying at the top of the market and devaluing and then having an asset which is devaluing because even if those numbers have worked for us that's it's just not a good feeling i mean you talk about sentiment no one wants that feeling when you've bought a property but we know from this podcast i mean that you are actively looking at property investments so i think it's good to hear how does this make you feel in your search for your next investment property? Well, I'm still searching and I am ready to, to buy if I find the right deal. And I would like to find the right deal where the numbers work. And I feel happy enough that the ongoing income and, and rental revenue from a, a property purchase would work and 
would make me happy to not worry too much about perhaps slipping into a, a property price or property value decreasing situation. Although, of course, as you say, no one's going to enjoy going through that. But I do have in the back of my mind, well, maybe if I just wait six months, maybe they'll all get cheaper again. <laughs> and it's so difficult to sort of put that voice away and just carry on regardless. And as you say, really just make the numbers for today work without worrying about that, that sort of nagging feeling. That when you look at inflation being so high and, and the Bank of England saying that they're expecting it to, to go up to 5% or perhaps even more, and it's worrying on, on many factors because if inflation goes up too high and, and for too long, then that's going to put pressure on the economy and more likely to cause some kind of downturn. It's, it certainly wouldn't be the only factor and it, it wouldn't cause it on its own, but it might be a, a contributing factor or a sign of something bigger anyway. But at the same time, it also means that the, the money, my deposit that I've got in the, in the bank is, is effectively devaluing. So I should get on and put it in into, a, into an asset that might increase, but might decrease. Oh, so, <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, the, the other consideration is I, I think we know from what we're reading and we're hearing and, and what we see out there in the real world is that there is a shortage. And I, I, I use that term for want of a much better one because that's a very media type term, which I, I don't like how it makes people think and feel. But we do know there's there's probably more people that are looking for properties than are properties available. And that's certainly anecdotal in what I'm hearing. And I think you've, you've heard similar as well. But when it comes to investing, we're generally speaking, looking for slightly different properties. Your properties, maybe not so much because typically you're looking for more of the family oriented ones, which are probably those which are right in that target area of, of properties that people want. So that probably does make it a bit tougher for you. Yeah, um, I am trying to steal properties away from, from owner occupiers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I would have it provide accommodation for those that aren't yet ready to buy in that scenario. Yes, that's what I meant to say, definitely. <laughs> but I was one of those. I, I rented for five years because we weren't in a position to buy and needed a family house. So if people didn't do what you did, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what we'd, well, we would have had to downsize, do, do lots of other things, but there is a need. And I suppose my aspect is it does just makes it much more challenging for you because if when you're competing against residential purchase, well, we all know that that's not a winnable scenario for the investor. Yeah, it's, that's something actually. I, I do always, when I'm looking at properties sort of on right moving things, some of them you think, look at and you think, they look really nice. They're really nicely done up and, and you think, well, I could buy that and it would be ready to, to rent. Then I also think, but then again, a family could buy that and it's all really nicely done up and it's sort of decorated with different colours and things. And it's not sort of your, your typical magnolia throughout that you'd put in a, a rental property just to not offend anyone. And then I think, well, I could buy that, but actually may, maybe I should just leave that on the market for a family to actually buy, an owner-occupied buy. I don't know why I think that. It's a crazy idea. I, I should just uh, do the numbers and, and buy it regardless. I'm an investor. Well, uh, and that's it. It comes down to the numbers. And if there were a family looking for it, you can bet your bottom dollar they'd be on it and would have viewed it in a short period of time and would certainly have outbid your offer of whatever it was because they wanted to get there quickly and in the current climate, at least anyway. And so 
my view is that anything that's still on the market are those that are sticking for a reason, usually because something needs to be done, whatever that is. But as regards to looking at properties, you have also got another avenue, which is circumventing the standard estate agent. Indeed. Well, possibly. I was talking to, to some friends recently and they were talking about how they're, they're thinking about moving. And we had a very good conversation about what sort of places they're looking for, as in geographic location and what sort of properties and things. And as it's sort of a common theme these days, they're looking to go a, a little more rural and things like that. But as part of this process, it came out in the conversation that they obviously need to sell their, their current house. And what one of the, the factors that's concerning them in this whole process is that they want to make sure they find the right house to buy. And they don't want to be too sort of pressured into to actually sort of selling theirs on a timeline or, or keeping a chain alive and things like that. And hence, they were wanting to try and find somewhere to buy that they liked before they put their property on the market. However, they, when they've been talking to agents, they found that agents have said, well, unless you've actually got a buyer for your property already, we're not going to show you around anything because we've got another 30 people who are queuing up to look at this house and they have already sold theirs. Which so, just proves um, the point we were just talking about. Yeah, exactly. So, so they, they found that basically they can't even get property viewings until they've put their house on the market and found a buyer for it. But that's not the situation they want to actually be in. So I, I was thinking that that shows of how crazy the market is at the moment and shows up a very real problem for some sellers, buyers, when you look at it. And, and we, had, we had a lovely conversation for the evening, and that was that. But then it occurred to me later on that while their current house is slightly outside my ideal geographic location that I've been looking, so it's, I've been looking around Red Hill and perhaps down to Hawley, and their house is in Crawley, so it's a bit further south than I would have ideally been looking. It is, however, in a good location in Crawley. It's a nice house. It's the sort of size that would fit my target property. So I thought, well, maybe I could help them with this. So I could be a, a more flexible buyer without pushing them, or at least I can sort of tick the box for a, an agent so they can say, yes, we've got a buyer. So I've suggested that perhaps, perhaps I could buy their house. And... They, they weren't planning to do anything until the new year, as I think is a lot of people are, are sort of shutting down for, for Christmas in terms of the, the property market. There's a, a lot fewer properties coming onto the market at the moment. That's a, a, another conversation. So perhaps come the new year, I will have a, a property that I'm buying one day, maybe, when my friends manage to find a new property for them. But this does open up lots and lots of questions for me. because so I've never purchased a house outside of the typical estate agent route before never mind buying one from friends which obviously adds in a whole heap of other questions and concerns so i have questions i don't know if perhaps you you will be able to help this Stuart, but at least you'll be able to offer ideas i would think so if we just start at the, the simple question how how do one go about valuing it would you get estate agents around or would you find a surveyor or what, what, what do you think would be a, a good approach to get a, a fair valuation? Because I, I don't want to do my friends out of, of money, but at the same time, I don't want to overpay or anything. So, Yeah, of course. I, and that's probably the, the, first, the first consideration, isn't it, in these scenarios when, you know, they say never work with friends and family. 
and you know there are good reasons for that and i've i've experienced it myself but putting that to one side of course we would do our desktop valuation it depends because when i've looked at this with business partners and without digressing when you know when i go into a, a business venture uh, i've heard it said that we talk about divorce before we get married and that just means that we set up the criteria for what happens you know if things just don't work out and they might be for good reasons but they just don't work out and in terms of valuation i've always looked at the ricks you know the royal institute of chartered surveyors valuation as a way of getting a really good one however i think it definitely you know you can get a couple of um, estate agents to do to give you a market valuation but i would be looking at someone that does valuations for a living in terms of actual real valuations and you know we've we've got a couple of surveyors that are usually attached to estate agents but i would look for that if i were dead serious about it that's i'd, I'd be putting some money in you know putting some money in someone's hand to to get a true reflection and because then again we we'd know whether that stacks up with what what we believe to be true or not that's exactly what i would think so i was thinking surveyor and as you say a paid appointment from a for a surveyor so my next question is, would you want to get a first and a second opinion and pay two surveyors? Would you think one would be sufficient? And how much do you think that sort of request might cost? Because, I mean, obviously, sometimes we pay surveyor fees for to a mortgage company to send them out and do it. But I have no idea how that actually relates to what, what, the, what the poor surveyor at the end gets paid and mm. what they might charge if you go direct. Well, I've done it directly. Um, you have to remember this is in the southwest, so... I would imagine we'd pay more just because we pay more because we're in the, the south. <laughs> but uh, but I've not paid directly more than five hundred pounds. In fact, it's it's just it's just shy of five hundred that I've paid. And I, so I've done a couple of independent surveys. And as strange as this sounds, I've done a couple before giving it to the bank because we were just at the outset of doing some refurbishment, and I needed to get well. I des- I wanted to get a professional opinion on whether my view was a correct one. Fortunately, both cases, the surveyor kind of agreed with me, but I was willing to pay 500 quid just to get that before I spent 60 grand doing a refurbishment, thinking I was going to get more than I wouldn't. So I've paid 500. I wouldn't be surprised if you pay anywhere between that and a thousand pounds in in the local areas. Hmm. So I think that's just one one opinion then, not not two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give you the second one for a cup of coffee. <laughs> good good <laughs> put, put on a letterhead and uh, i'm sure we get it <laughs> okay so we get a survey done and when you get surveys done through a mortgage company typically you've already made an offer perhaps even had that offer accepted from a seller whereas i'd be looking at sort of going in cold do you find or when you've done independent evaluations with a, a surveyor do they want to know sort of what your planning to buy or will will they go in completely cold and, and just give you a, a raw figure from nothing i mean I, I would have a conversation with the surveyor about the property itself one of my business partners obviously a very different scenario but he'll create a pack showing the work's done so i know obviously you're not at that stage this is a very but so so yeah well, i guess the summary is we, we would engage with the surveyor and have a conversation i think from sort of cold perspective it's more thinking about the buyers because if they haven't put it on the market, they might have a view on the value. And that's probably the first conversation is, you know, do you have a view on the value stroke price you'd want for the property? Because immediately your de- even your desktop research might say, 
or, or might raise an alarm to say, I think they're over-egging the... And it could just be one of those where, you know, we, we've all been there where you think your property's worth 20% more than it is because you don't see... You're not looking through objective eyes. You, you don't see the, the patch on the wall that needs painting or the carpet that needs refreshing or et cetera. It's all the, you know, the new windows that need putting in that are going to cost several thousand pounds. And unfortunately, as buyers, we do. You know, they're, they're the things we're looking at. So the vendor might not be thinking about those things and that's where there's a bit of a calibration that goes on to firstly to understand what sort of price you're looking at first and then I think you then move on to the conversation about you know, if the seller's going to save themselves one and a half percent or whatever the number is you know as well as the ease of doing it just with solicitors you know that they're the other conversations to be had yeah yeah quite so actually that's interesting sort of next step so you talk about doing it just with solicitors typically when you're buying a house through an agent you'll talk to the agent they will once the offer's been accepted and things uh, they will provide you with some some paperwork effectively to give your solicitor to then set the the ball in motion and without an agent of course that doesn't exist so how do you get the process rolling yeah well it's not that tricky really so i am obviously i'm selling a property at the moment without an estate agent i don't think we spoke about it but it's a little flat. It just so happened that the letting agent knew somebody and was just willing just to pass them on. So we exchanged emails and those emails just contained our solicitor's details. I'm not even sure that we've done a memorandum of sale, but I would tend to just speak to the solicitor about that to say, because obviously we need a, a document which just sets out what's actually been agreed, you know, the, the sale of the property X for the value of Y. And these are the details because that's what a memorandum of sale is doing. In my brain, I do appreciate that estate agents do lots of things in terms of the you know sales and purchasing process, in terms of chasing people. However, a large proportion of what they do is marketing, and you've just taken that out of the equation because you've you've got a, a contact. So for me, as long as solicitors are involved, I'm happy. Again, do they? You know, of course, they will always need to be involved at some stage. But yeah, if you you need a a, a memorandum of sale or just some sort of documentation, but as long as you, the two solicitors are connected then as far as I'm concerned, that's that's all that needs to happen because their, their solicitors, sorry, your solicitors are the one that would need to still, you know, you'll just go into running the searches and doing the conveyancing and so on. And from their point of view, it's really just a case of, you know, whereas sometimes the estate agent is also chasing people up on both sides, that that will then become you or the seller, depending on who wants it done sort of uh, more expeditiously or expediently. Yep, indeed. And, and then, of course, we've just got to worry about when they, they accidentally knock, knock a hole in the wall as they're moving out and uh, <laughs> uh, renegotiating price at the last minute and things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is where I, I suppose when you're buying it for investment, less of an issue. But if you're buying to live and you buy from a friend and then you open up a, I don't know, a cupboard door and, you know, there's a, there's a rat there. You're like, oh, the buggers didn't tell me about that, did they? You know? <laughs> Which I'm sure, you know, wouldn't happen. But. Can happen, and these things uh, just become. But whereas you're buying for investment, you'll do what you need to do, and whatever in terms of the diligence. And then if things come up, you, you'll just address them for, as you would for. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is, you'll be approaching this less emotively because it's an investment rather than a home. Yeah, exactly. If you open the door and find a rat, just close the door and pretend you didn't see it. <laughs> Usual standard. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's. I think, I mean, it, it all sounds very doable, doesn't it? And I, I think often some of the, the, the property investing techniques that are, are marketed and things 
are all about trying to find director vendor deals and things like that. And here I am sort of stumbling across one potentially. Mm. So I think it'll be interesting to see if this, this does actually develop into, into a, a potential property deal or, or whether, whether having talked a bit more to my, my friends about it, we conclude that actually it would just be, be a bit, bit too weird to, <laughs> to, to buy the house from them, <laughs> um, yeah. which, is, which is a possibility. So, uh, so yeah, I will keep you and our podcast listeners posted on, on progress probably uh, in the new year now for this one. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing if this progresses and, and turns into a, a real property deal, even though it might take some months for, for my friends to, to find their ideal new house. Well, I'm certainly keen to hear the next installment as and when that happens. And for anyone listening that has been listening to this thinking, but Simon, you must do this, then please do reach out to us. All of the usual channels, just head over to thebusinessofproperty.com. All of our contact uh, information is there. And if you are enjoying the show and if you feel like giving us a, an early Christmas present, please do leave us a rating and or review. That would really help us. Other than that, we'll see you on the next episode.